Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Makers, Episode 2, Build, Break, Learn. That's what we do. That's what we try to do. Besides that, we try to have fun. Uh, we're starting out the show with a slightly smaller group of people here. Uh, first off joining us, we have uh, Brett. Uh, how's everything going, man? It's going pretty good. Um, just uh, did a couple things this week, made a few new uh, parts, and uh, just still going. Yeah, and I think uh, you had a weird, very weird issue printing um, after you changed materials. Were we ever sure about what caused that issue? No, still uh, still having the same problem. It, it goes to one spot. No matter where I turn the print, it'll go to one spot, and it'll just catch. I can't figure out why. I can't figure out how. I mean, it's just uh, it's a mystery, but I'll figure it out once I... Uh, once I get more material, I ran out of material trying to figure it out. Well, the stupid question I have is, could it be the actual G code, the output file that you're putting into the printer, there be an error in that actual file? And if it is, is it possible to send somebody else that same file to see if they have the same error? Well, the thing is, if I print it with a different material, such as PLA, even with the ABS, even with the ABS uh, settings, it'll print fine. It's literally the ABS settings, or it's the ABS material that wants to catch, and I can't figure out why. Wow. You you didn't mention previously that it always happened in the exact same spot. Like, I thought you meant the exact same height, but if it's in the same location, it could be a retraction issue. Yeah, I, uh, but I turn the, if I turn the, the print, it still does the same spot. So maybe it is a retraction issue. Well... In your slicer, you can tell it, this is where I want the seam, Z-scar. Um, that's where it does the retraction. So, like, I've changed mine so that it orients them toward home, the back right on the FT5, because I want them to all line up. Well, really quick, I think I understand the word re-traction, um, re, um, but what would a retraction issue be? I mean, ha, I mean, if I'm watching the printer, can I see a retraction issue? So, the retraction... Um, it, it releases back pressure. You can stop retracting sooner or later to get more or less filament to kind of um, make it a cleaner transition from one layer to the next. If it's not doing enough retraction, it could be leaving a blob which then starts to catch up. But yes, you can you can see retraction issues while it's printing, um, whether it's pimpling or stringingness. Now, what I think about retraction is uh, if you ever used a caulking gun and you don't release the back pressure on it, you know how the caulking keeps oozing out even though you just didn't pull the trigger again. And that's really what's happening there is because there's a little bit of pressure uh, you know, with the filament getting driven in and uh, it, it getting heated up and leaking out, basically. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, that's something that I'm going to have to look into because that makes a lot of sense. It's always the same spot, so it could be an issue with back pressure or retraction, same thing, but yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, Hey Rich, uh, how, how's everything going, man? I have, uh, you know, for a period of time, I thought I wasn't too productive. Like after, uh, I always get a confused Memorial day, Labor day, Memorial day. Uh, and I, I just kind of jumped on it and I, I've had some periods of downtime with the printer where I like to have the thing running 24 seven, but I, I did print a lot of items. I was just kind of recapping before the show. And of course with me, it's functional items. Gotcha. Gotcha. So 
did you uh, break anything or learn anything this week? Uh, yeah, you know, it, it's kind of like if if you haven't figured out I'm a pilot, and that's probably the first two things I say to people. You know, it's like, hi, I'm Rich, I'm a pilot. Um, one of the things I always forget is I'll put the throttle forward at the end of the runway and I don't turn the transponder into altitude uh, mode. And so if you're ever listening to live ATC and they call like a uh, negative altitude to the pilot from the tower, and then he says, oh, I'll recycle my transponder, kind of like blaming it on the transponder. Uh, I, I'll be like kind of excited and maybe that sounds way too geeky. Uh, I'll load something up in the slicer and I'll go to print it. And then I don't have the, the density, you know, the infill set right. I don't have the support set right. I don't have fill in the blank set right. Well, I, I did another flaw. So that's one fault and I try to look out for it. You know, I know what I do wrong. So let, let me be careful of that. The other thing I did wrong and, uh, Aaron, you, you hit it right off. I saw a vase. Amount. Yeah. Aaron said, you know, uh, you printed a vase amount, but it wasn't a hundred millimeter mount. You probably printed a seventy-five millimeter mount, and damn it, it was a seventy-five millimeter mount. Like these are looking a little small, but and and that's the problem with without like a dollar bill or a thumb next to something in the virtual world that you're staring at these three D objects in. You have no idea of the reference of the size of them, and especially if you're doing three D printing with Octoprint, you know the the printers in my garage. So I have no idea what's printing out of it. And, and even looking at the video stream from it, you really can't tell scale so well. And so after I printed two of them, I realized, hey, that's three quarters of the size. So I loaded up into Tinkercad and scaled it up, and I made sure it was 100 millimeter size. So, so what you're saying is we need to develop plugins for this 3D modeling software that has banana for scale? <laughs> Something, yes. Yeah, and I'll say I didn't even know there was multiple sizes of visa mount. I thought a visa mount was a visa mount was a visa mount. Right, right. Like likewise here, I I didn't think there was anything other than standard face amount, which you know I I had no idea it was a hundred millimeter, and then there was a smaller one that was seventy five millimeter. Yeah, that was uh Liam making that call, and I believe he literally made it like. I'm sorry, I said Aaron. Yeah. Yeah, and I believe he made it like knee jerk quick, like 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 maybe he's experienced that same issue. I've ordered a lot of visa mounts uh, for a lot of computers. I somebody wants something that's mountable, I I go to the specs, I look it up, and then I look it up on Google to make sure the specs are right. Because you know, sometimes uh, they write it down on a spec sheet, but it doesn't get engineered that way. Gotcha, gotcha. So, uh, Liam, uh, did you build, break, or learn anything this week? And I'm pretty sure you've done just about all three. Uh, I, I built some stuff. I, I fixed my sign mostly. I get a get up on the roof and do more of that tomorrow. It, it's functional, but now it's getting replaced tomorrow. Oh, God, what have I broken? I, too many things to, to run through. And uh, I'm learning the Anet A8. We're going to yeah. be flashing some firmware and getting Skynet 3D set up on that pretty soon. Yeah, there's a new member of the family. I should have like sent over like you know a diaper cake or something. I, I'm printing a cigar as we speak. Good man, good man. Um, Jonas and Aaron will be on later. Chad uh, had to work late. Um, I will say I did not build break anything because I still don't have the printer. Uh, right now, right now, right now, right now, it's in Kentucky. Um, I'm going to be here about another six days. 
So I'm hoping I get it in like two days so I have time to actually set up and maybe play with it a little bit before I leave for a week. Um, and I have devoted time to a little bit more of these 3D modeling programs. Uh, I don't think I really should mess with any of the other software until I have a physical device here to actually see what I'm doing when it gets printed out. And Dor, you didn't tell the children what material you're getting. I told them last week. I got the uh, CR10. Right, but if we have somebody tuning in new. Well, go back and listen to episode one. Or you just look at the notes. Um, So we will have uh, more guys joining us as the show goes on. Um, We're going to start to... we, We did a good look at the physical hardware of the printers, different types of printers. Uh, we took a look at some specific models of printers. Um, the CR10, the reviews on YouTube just keep pouring in about how damn good it is, how easy it is to set up, how solid the frame is, which, you know, this is just making me feel really good about it. Um, and then when it came to software, I'll say this, there is a plethora of software, but it's more than just like in Word hinting and, and then you hit print. This is like you have to go into Word, hit print, you get an output file, you put that file into something else and say, okay, now now take this and make it print out on the HP Color LaserJet 4350 with this dots per inch. So you need a second application just to do the extra steps in the equation. And I don't know how many steps of the e, um, of the e, um, equations there are, but... um. The first sets of software we're going to talk about are slicers. Now, the first question I got for you guys is, where in the workflow does a slicer come into play? Um, and then what are some of the slicers and why are they good? Why are they bad? So the slicer is the final prep before sending it off to the printer. So you slice it, that creates G-code, you upload it, put it in a camera card or a SD card, however you get it whether you're, you're tethered printing or whatever that's that's the file you're sending that's the file you you spool up when you're sending it to the hp okay so yeah so this spits out the code g code as i keep hearing and g code is really nothing more than what i'm gathering nothing more than a ascii text file with sets of commands and these can be very long sets of commands because it's literally move here do this move here do this move here do this go up and now repeat for the layers and so i would think it could get to be a pretty long file yeah um my longer prints maybe 30 megs and and really it is just text you you can open it up notepad plus plus uh text edit wordpad whatever go in and manually adjust things you can look at your settings see what sliced it go in and correct problems things like that um yeah just just big ass text file yeah, I've uh, I've worked with a couple small ones, big ones. Um, I think the biggest I've worked with is about twenty six megs. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, um, we have three of them listed in the notes. Uh, we have uh, Cura, C U R A, Simplify three D, and then one just called Slicer, which something tells me that's the open source one because its name is way too generic. Um. Can I ask, uh, do you guys consider, and what I'm hoping is you each have different opinions, uh, do you consider any one of them to be better than the other one? Uh, Brett, do you want to start out? Um, yeah, I'll, I've done Cura 2.6. I've done Cura, I believe it's 3. Um, and I've done Simplify 3D. 
they all have their different strengths, weaknesses. Um, Cura 2.6 has a, for me, a, an easier interface, but the newer one has a really uh, interesting way of doing infill, which actually does like a cube inside of the infill. A little hard to explain. I'll have to, uh, I'll post a, a video of it. Um, but as far as Simplify 3D, I've just started using it and it's it's way stronger than anything else. Um, they're, uh, the, I think it's called the cubic bisection, yeah. Um, but it's, it's a uh, it's a really interesting way of printing, but as far as Simplify 3D, there is so much you can do with it. So much you can uh, you can just do anything with it. You can stop at halfway through a layer and you know turn the fan on. But you know Liam knows a lot more than I do about that one. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, Rich, can I ask which slicer do you use? Do you have a favorite, and can I ask why? Yeah, and, and unfortunately, I got a bad answer. So it's kind of like I learned how to ride a tricycle, and I stuck with it. Um, so I've been using Cura, and I think the advantages of other slicers are that if you're printing something, and it can be you know, a 10% density through 90% of the item that you're printing, but then the last 10% or at a certain layer height, you want it 100% density or want to do a change in density. You can't do that in Cure, but there's other slicers that you can do that in. So if you're really, so I would have to print at whatever the highest density required for something as opposed to varying the density in the material. So I would have maybe better speed or use less material, that kind of thing, if I was able to vary those uh, functions during the slicing process. Okay, um, I'm not going to lie. I thought a slicer would be maybe the most basic type of software you would use. Um, Liam, can I ask, uh, well, something tells me you've experienced more than just a couple um, slicers. Uh, w which one do you use, and what's the real reason, the like catch reason that just won you over on it? Because I'm guessing you did settle on one. Well, I started out with Cura because it was free. Um, I was, that was back the 15 versions. Cura's from the folks uh, Ultimaker that do the Ultimaker printer. Um, I believe it's open source and cross-platform, but I, I haven't run it in a long time, so I, I, I could be wrong on that. Um, it's competent, and it's gotten better. Um, I just loaded up the latest version and tried doing some stuff with it. Didn't have a lot of luck, but that's probably user error more than anything. I moved to Simplify 3D because I wanted the the simplicity of multiple processes that it provides. That's that's kind of what Rich was talking about, um, where you can set up multiple processes to start at different locations on the same model or print, or you can even print multiple models using different processes on the same build plate at the same time. So if I want to print um, whatever I want to print, I want to print a cube and I want it to be 0.3 layer height, Meanwhile, I'm printing a snowman next to it at point 0.1 layer height. I can do that. So um, the, the good instance for that is, hey, I'm going to be gone all day. I'm going to be gone for 16 hours. I want to throw a bunch of stuff on my printer to print. But this one's going to be hollow. This one's going to be 20% infill. This one's going to be solid. This, And you have all of these different requirements for something that you want to print. Well, Cure, you can't do that. Well, I wouldn't say you can't do it. Um, I'd imagine there's plugins that support that. Um, 
I know Cura has plugins as well as Simplify 3D. I haven't looked at plugins on Simplify 3D. I've messed with them a little bit on Cura to do some multicolor stuff that I didn't like. Um, the slicer, that, that's how it's pronounced, or that's how that's how everybody says it. I'm not going to say Slicer or Slice 3R. Um, that's another one of the open source ones. It's got a lot of plugins and different things you can do with it as well. I've used it in passing as well as Craftware. Craftware seems like it's going to be really powerful as well. It has some good stuff, but um, ultimately the answer is use the tool you're comfortable with. The, the knife that you're not going to cut your hand off with is the one that you should be using. Um, the other reason I really liked initially Simplify 3D was the customizable supports. Supports can be a pain and can make or break a print, and sometimes it's unavoidable to have to print with supports, and so it gives you a little bit more options. Um, certainly there's ways you can work around that. You can model it with supports built in, so you don't have to add them at the slicing stage, but a lot of people are just downloading things and need to be able to put supports in it. Right, well, really quick to the listener, um, hypothetically, picture a umbrella. Okay, and picture the umbrella is standing on the bottom of the handle and up goes the pole and the umbrella is out. Supports would need to be printed for basically the umbrella top itself because you need to start from the ground and then come up. So underneath the umbrella, in be, you know, outside of the cane, the you know, pole holding it up, you would have support structure coming from the very bottom all the way up to hold that umbrella hood up during the during the actual printing process. Then after the printing process, you rip out all the support structure and essentially throw it away. So by me saying that, then you should know if you're going to print a umbrella, you should probably flip it upside down so the um, hood part is on the bed, the very you know peak of it is touching the bed, and the pole is sticking up in the air, just so you need less support structure. Is that is that I think a, a accurate definition of what support is? Yeah, absolutely. I and mean, that's the point of support is to give you better support and overhangs, so that you don't have spaghetti monsters that you're printing, which you're going to print anyways. But you know you want less of them. Um, in that specific instance, you might actually want to go the more support. Um, route because if you flip it over maybe that's the side you want smooth even with good supports um, you're still going to get a degradation in quality of that surface oh like uh pimpling maybe well it's not going to be smooth and finished so you're you always have you know form function strength considerations when you're doing that And, and i'm saying hey if you don't want the handle to break you really need to print the handle horizontal to the build plate so maybe you want to print the umbrella instead of you saying up or down, maybe sideways is the right way to go. Or maybe in pieces even kind of thing. Yes. See, see these are the kind of things about 3D printing that I find almost fascinating. I'm looking for something on my desk here. Uh, there was like a Millennium Falcon key fob and somebody designed it and put it out there on Thingiverse. Then somebody took it and split it into three pieces. So the top, the bottom, and the middle. And this way you can have good finished top sides, you know, both top and bottom. So sometimes, you know, splitting something uh, top and bottom and gluing it together. I think Liam uh, this week mentioned that, uh, was it Chad or Brett, that split it in half and then glue it together. So the, the idea is, as much as my goal is always to have like a V8 engine running off the printer. When, I, when the printer stops, I pull this V8 engine off and it just starts right up and runs. That's like my goal in life. 
Whereas, you know, to get a better finish on it, you might want to print, split it in half and then print it uh, in two halves and glue it together with crazy glue later. And that'll give you a better finished product. Yeah, so what I'll say is slicers uh, aren't really simple. And what I mean by that is there's decisions that have to be made while using the slicer that are the little nuances that are going to determine what kind of quality print you have out. Um, So in the slicer itself, you can do these splits. So you don't have to do them in the 3D modeling program. You can have the unit as a whole. But then the slicer, you can literally cut things in half and say, well, you know, print these two halves, cut them in half, and then after print, tear off the supports and put it together. Yeah, um, I'm, that's, I'm more a fan of printing without supports when possible. I will absolutely break up an STL into multiple interlocking parts so they can all print flat and without supports. Um, I also like to break up the different colors on a print if something needs to be multiple colors. So now in the slicers, can you get, I don't want to say RT, but can you literally, instead of just doing straight cuts, can you literally do like curved cuts and split things up that way? Because I understand taking something in as few cuts as possible, making the most as flat as possible, that's going to be visible to people to have that smooth surface as possible, if that makes sense. I don't know if that is doable. I'd imagine at least one slicer can handle it. Um, Generally, you're going to take and if you want to break it into multiple pieces, you'd sink it down onto the build plate, 10 millimeters, 30 millimeters, whatever, in the Z. And then when you go to print the next part, you'd flip it upside down and make sure that that much is above the build plate when you slice it. Um, I do all of my breaking up of components in the design process. Yeah, I hate saying it like this, but uh in software i do what's called what i like to call crutching where if there is five pieces of software involved in a workflow i try my hardest to use one of them as much as possible so i don't have to you know spend 20 minutes in each of them i'd much rather spend 60 minutes in one of them and then three minutes in the rest just so there's less uh, i have to worry about uh kind of uh changing and to be honest the 3d modeling programs i used seemed pretty efficient once you got to know the interface to do more complex uh separations and i will say i do love the idea of like what you did was um i believe it was dilbert's where you took different parts of him standing up and split the different colored parts into different pieces instead of trying because after the fact painting to me unless you're really good at it and you really have the right stuff if you get close to it, it's going to be really obvious that it is painted. Where if they're each their own unique color, to me, it it, it looks more like it should. Yeah, um, I'd love to take credit for that, but I did not make that model. But when I do make models that are multi multicolor, multi pieces, um, that that is the process I'd try to design. Everything can print without supports or as minimally as possible, and then each component that's going to be a different color should be an individual piece that interlocks with the others. Um, I've dropped that in the chat. Colts 3D, um, wonderful, wonderful site. It's Thingiverse only better, in my opinion. Um, and then I also threw down in the chat there, Simplify 3D Troubleshooting Guide. That's a great place to go if your prints are unhappy. A wonderful place to take a look at what's going on. Um, you can also see down uh, the pig on its back or on its side. That shows you what typical overhangs look like. They're a little bit cleaner than that, but it's nowhere near as clean as a... Um, surface that prints without supports. 
Gotcha, gotcha. So slicers are definitely a little bit more complex than I thought they were. Um, now a question. I've I've browsed Thingiverse. I haven't went crazy. Um, Thingiverse seems to be uh, I don't want to say the most popular one, but it's the one with the most name recognition kind of thing. Um, are prints? Okay, and this is gonna be a really dumb question. So I'm going to guess the answer is no, because I'm guessing most people who upload things are extremely lazy and just upload stuff. But is it almost common, hopefully, that uh, quality designs are already broken up by color? Um, it doesn't seem to be the norm, but maybe I'm just not encountering those models. Gotcha, gotcha. Because like uh, on Reddit, you have high quality GIFs as a subreddit, and then you have GIFs where the high quality gifts is where the people literally go make like five, 10 minute gifts where it's like animation o- overlaid on top of real like 720p video, like uh, shots. Um, so I'm hoping there's a community or a section or a unit or something that develops where all it is, is nothing but the highest quality. I don't want to say SDLs, but you know what I mean? Files with the most breakout details and stuff like that. And that, and that had give you like, the proper way to print it right side up, right side down at an angle kind of thing. Uh, go ahead, Liam. I was, uh, looking at, uh, Colts right now and it's, uh, they have a best 3d objects of each month, which is actually very impressive. Um, they seem to have exactly what you're talking about. The, the best of the best, the best pictures, the best STL downloads and, Stuff like that. Yeah, Colts is great, as is my mini factory, I believe. Holy moly, Liam. I'm just browsing this Colts 3D a little bit. Yeah, I'm going through it right now. It's nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of distracted by it. But the deal with uh, Colts and my mini factory, I believe both of them anyways, is you're not posting a file up there until you've printed it successfully. So you're and saying the you... signal-to-noise ratio is different. Yes, it's a much... if if Apple had a 3D print store, this is probably what it would look like, um, as much as I know that's going to upset people. Yeah, I'm but just yeah. going through their tools section. There is a lot of cool stuff here. Yeah, it's definitely much more moderated, curated. It's wonderful, wonderful. If you're looking for a specific file, check one of those two first, and you're going to have better results. You're going to find far less, and then you probably have to move on to Thingiverse and sort through tons of crap. But for quality of models way way better over there yeah i mean dare i say um and from this is what i related to because i shop for phones and stuff a lot uh thingiverse is like ebay and uh cults 3d is like swappa it, 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 it's like i feel every posting on here had to go through some kind of checklist because everything one thing i'm, I'm noticing is like liam said everything here has a real picture of it because that's what i had to tell a coworker because i think i'm getting him hooked on the idea of getting a 3d printer and i'm encouraging him the pages that don't show you physical printouts of stuff i mean they're cool to look at but don't take for granted they're going to come out perfect wow this is a good site this is the site where i'm going to have to just browse when i don't have anything to do because right now i do it's hosting a podcast if you were to look up my mini factory i mean it's right there in the title name my mini factory guaranteed 3d printable designs uh, I think that's all the guarantee that I need. So as far as slicers go, um, I think Rich brought up a good point a little bit earlier in the the problem that he experienced, which everybody's going to get. 
Um, wanted to get it on the build plate and get printing, only later to find out you've got your, your settings wrong. Uh, develop yourself a preprint checklist and stick to it. Um, I would imagine that Cura or maybe Simplify or even Slicer have a plugin that will pop up before you actually slice to say, hey, did you check this? Did you check this? And you could create those. If not, somebody should totally get on that because that would be a great plugin. That would be pretty nice. That would be, you know, it would be, it would, it would allow for uh, less errors. I suck. I so suck at checklists. Um, I will say, I can already tell you, having Octoprint would make it so much easier to ignore a, ch- a checklist. Because um, if I'm mainly oh, yeah. having to walk to the printer with the SD card and put it in, I could always just tape the checklist right there. So I'm getting ready to put the SD card in. Oh, yeah, there's a checklist I got to follow. So then I can stop and do it right. Yeah, it almost has to be compulsory. Um, I, I know when I was flying RC and I had got... 8, 10, 12 different aircraft. Um, I had pre-flights that I had to check off on or off on my uh, my radio before I could actually get into controlling it. And being compulsory made it work better. Less yeah. crashy crash. And you know what I found about that is you almost want a logbook for each aircraft. So you know how it performed last, what settings you had, and like, hey, next time you go to the field or before you go to the field next time and fly this, do this. Like, fix that loose aileron hinge or something. Yeah, definitely keeping a logbook of some sort. Uh, OneNote, text, edit, whatever whatever floats your boat. Um, I, I did a physical log when I first started printing. Um, kept meticulous records until I realized what I needed to actually track and not track. And now it's basically all in my head. Sure, I, I mess up from time to time, and it's, it's all on me. Uh, but you get to, you find that routine that works for you. Well, I um found one of the things there. I'll try to get a link to it called the in the impossible bearing over at myminifactory.com, and that looks really cool. But it also, I think, when I clicked on 3D on the web page, it decided to lock up my browser. Yeah, I'm looking at the same one actually. Um, in 3D view, and it's it's pretty impressive. It's definitely a bearing. So I printed a ball bearing spinner for my daughter, and that was like, yeah, that's cute, Dad. Order me one on Amazon. Yeah, I uh, I was able to get a ceramic bearing for my whatever spinners, and now it's just sitting there. I think the fad is already uh, starting to fade. Hopefully. Oh, you know, there's plenty of diehards out there. Yeah, can't argue that. Um, I will say, uh, yeah, Thingiverse. See, now this is what I'm going to guess. Thingiverse would be good to go for ideas, just because of the sheer number of things posted there. But when you want polish, you want you know the the uh, smooth, rounded corners, if you will. If you want somebody, if you want things that have been made with passion, dare I say, you need to go to different websites. I'll agree with that one. Um, Thingiverse is very much, you know, you, you, you make something and you post it. You don't, like you guys have said before, you don't necessarily have to print it to post it. So it's a little bit more, I guess you could say, just saturated. 
Yeah, I mean, when you need a pair of flip-flops for the beach for the day, you go to the dollar store, you go to Walmart. When you're getting a set of lineman boots, you go to a good cobbler. <laughs> you said cobbler. I like pie. Uh, okay, very cool. Uh, we did get our first email, and I would say not surprisingly, it's from who I consider one of the coolest guys. Um, he writes into multiple shows. Uh, the email goes like this. Hey, hey guys, it's nice to hear a new voice in 3D printing. You have mentioned Slicer, the one with the three, and Simplify 3D, but I thought I would add some more to the list. Uh, Slicer, Prusser, Prusa, he, um, he, um, edition over at GitHub. You may have mentioned this one. I have not had time to listen to the full episodes yet. Um, then he says, Cura is spoken of highly by some people. And then there is Kisslicer, K-I-S-S-L-I-C-E-R, still in active development, but not spoken of as much for some reasons. Congratulations on starting up the new show. Re, um, regards, Christian, a.k.a. Captain Double D plus one more zero. Captain Zero. Thank you very much for the email. Um, and here's the question I have. Slicer Prusa edition. Okay. One thing I did notice, not all slicers apparently work on every printer. When I was at the site for Simplify 3D, I believe, one of the big links there was check the, compa- check, check the compatibility of your printer. And, you would, and then you were sent to a page where you literally type in your printer and search to see if it is compatible. So with that being said, obviously, I'll say obviously, you should... Make sure whatever slicer you are looking at downloading is, in fact, truly compatible with your device. And I'm going to guess, unfortunately, the Slicer Prusa edition maybe is only compatible with Prusa printers or official Prusa printers? No, no, not at all. Um, It's just their fork of Slicer tuned specifically for the Mark II. Or for the the Prusas, specifically the Mark II, though. Um, You can use it. It outputs G-code just like any other would, um, and it's not so much that not so much that the uh, slicers don't support the printer. Any printer that takes G-code and can print can be supported by the majority of slicers out there. Um, as far as Simplify 3D goes, they have preloaded profiles with kind of best starting settings for those printers that are listed. So like your CR10, that was recently added to the list in there. Um, these are a known good starting state and it already has all the machine configs loaded in. So the build size, um, the correct uh, firmware version, whether it's Marlin, RepRap, uh, other. Okay, yeah, that's what I was gonna ask you. Um, what are some of these configurations? But one of them you said makes perfect sense. What is your maximum bed size? Is it, you know, two by two by two, three by three by four, or, you know, how big of an area do you have to print? Um, now you said Marlin or Riprap. I'm going to guess that is what software or firmware is actually loaded on the board inside of your printer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, probably the most common we're going to run into is Marlin and Repeteer. Uh, Repeteer host is another I, I don't know if Repeteer does slicing or not. I, I know you can tether print from it. I, I think you can slice with Repeteer. That's, that might be another one. Um, I've only fiddled with it a little bit on my CNC and then to some testing done. Um, 
Okay, then here's my question. Uh, if I'm using Octoprint or not, I'm going to guess the G code doesn't matter. What matters is the ending printer device. So it, if I load in Octoprint, it basically hands it off to the printer. It doesn't actually do anything to with the file. It, it may or may not. Um, by default, it's just a print server. It's just funneling G code via USB to your printer. Um, you've got multiple, again, the uh, you, you can send your profiles to it, so you can actually just load an STL and have it do the slicing. And then you've got tons of plugins to do additional functions, but yes, at base it is just a print server. Okay, well, really quick question. Um, I firmly believe, and I firmly believe now for years, honestly, ever since um, uh, CMonkey uh, was around, and that's an old browser that most people never heard of now, um, plugin uh, applications with standardized plugin architecture to enable independent people to just develop whatever they want for the a application seems to be the more popular type of application. So do most or all of these slicers have plugin capabilities? And if they do, can anybody make a plugin? <laughs> so uh, for, for me, I've looked at a few plugins and uh, as far as I know, just about all of them have plugin capabilities. Um, that's, uh, that's one of the things that is kind of nice about them is you can have a plugin for just about anything, depending on the, on the uh, whether it, on the platform you can. I don't know about if you can make your own. If who can make their own, but yeah, I certainly can't make my own. I mean, I I don't even code websites anymore. Ask me to code a plugin. Well, well, then I'm going to take this shot in the dark, and I'm going to go out and say, then more than likely, my selection of slicer might come down to which slicer has the plugins that I like. Because to be honest, um. The default software I'm going to guess I'm going to guess has a large amount of the same features, and yes, different slices will have different feature sets. But most of them, I think, will have the same kind of things. But but I can believe this slicer might have you know 200 fantastic plugins. This other one might have 60 fantastic plugins. But but those 60 might be the ones that I like. So I might actually go for the one with the less plugins. But so that's one thing I'm going to have to try to do is spend a little bit of time looking at these slicers plugins because I dare I say looking at the plugins for it will also help me wrap my head around all of the different possibilities what you can do inside of these applications and uh, we do have Aaron uh, joining us now how's everything going man going great going great uh, glad I could finally uh, make it out here uh, well the number one question I have for you this week Aaron is uh did you build anything? Did you break anything? And did you learn anything? I've done two of those three. I have built, um, started building those hex drawers that looks like the, um, it's a file from my uh, maker factory uh, that is looks like a beehive honeycomb kind of thing that you can mount on a wall or on a desk or whatever and it's got little drawers for compartments and uh, started printing those out uh, finally found a good use for that ak uh, so-called gold um, uh, pla plus from esun and uh, liam and i decided that it's called it's actually supposed to be called honeycomb 
but uh, and then of course trying to print out the drawers I broke something I don't know I keep getting uh, uh, some serious Y offset uh, move uh, belt slippage or something something in that sort so I have not had a chance to learn from it and fix the problem gotcha gotcha well I hope you figured that out uh, sooner rather than later um, we were talking about slicers so the question I have to you about slicers is uh, which ones do you have you think good experience with which one do you use right now and is there a feature that makes you choose that one right now um, I started out with Kira 15 point something something um, that was right when they were doing the beta on Kira 2.0 I think is what it was to yeah something like that and uh I liked it. It had some. It had good features. Um, had a lot of advanced settings, which is nice. And then now uh, I took the jump. I don't know. It's been probably probably four or five months. I took the jump and did uh, bought, purchased um, Simplify 3D. And I really, really like that. Uh, a ton more features. Uh, so many, so many options. I don't know what to do with half the time. And uh, let's see, what's what's my favorite one? I think my favorite. The reason I like it the most is because that you can add your own supports in uh, the Simplified 3D and put them anywhere you want. So. I have not utilized that enough, but I, you know, that's what I definitely like about it, Ooh. amongst other things. Yeah. Ooh, 150 bucks for Simplify 3D. Yeah. Yeah. It's. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Liam. Uh, yeah, it's a little uh, on the spendy side, but once you purchase it, you'll realize that it's worth it. I I feel like the. Um value gap is closing as long as you're familiar with the other softwares and how to do what Simplify 3D does. It seems like development's been sluggish or be halted on Simplify 3D, but definitely eight months, a year ago, it, it was out ahead. Um, it's Intel and AMD, and they're both kind of sitting back, it seems, right now. Well, I'm going to guess... Uh... I actually know for a fact now. I've seen a picture of at least one of these guys. I don't remember what the website was. Um, I'm going to guess just because this is how it usually ends up. This is either Windows only or Windows and Mac only software. Um, I believe, um, yeah, Simplified 3D is uh, Windows and Mac only because I wanted to put it on my Linux machine and Unfortunately, have not been able to. Oh, wait, wait, wait. well, here you go. System requirements, Intel Pentium 4 or higher processor, 2 gigs of RAM, Windows XP or greater, Max OS X. And for those people that want to send an email in, say it's OS 10. It's, it's, it's clearly says OS X. Uh, and then it says Ubuntu Linux 12.10 or greater. Uh, OpenGL 2.0 capable system, which that, that's actually a pretty easy hurdle. And internet connection required. So it's technically possible, but yes, Aaron, it wouldn't shock me if it is not easy to do. Yeah, no, it was, uh, oh gosh, Fusion 360 that we determined was not Linux friendly. Simplify 3D as well as most of the other slicers are cross-platform. 
Oh, that's right. Well, well, that's really good to know, so now I know I have another option available to me. That's good. And as far as I know, besides some vertical market with some um, proprietary machines, this is the only paid slicer. Gotcha, gotcha. Man, I'm stepping on everybody tonight. Okay. Uh, I believe that is correct, because uh, I don't remember any other slicer out there that is uh, paid for besides 3D. Well, to be honest, I'm okay with that. And, and to be honest, here's the real reason why I'm okay with that. Um, they clearly say when you click on Buy Now on the top, uh, access to full-time professional support staff. Um, there are times where I don't feel like sitting down and figuring something out in a piece of software. There are times I really would much rather just send them a support email. And to be honest, 150 bucks one time, I don't expect the world in return, but I would expect at least semi-prompt, uh, uh, feedback on my, um, email or contact of the support. And if they're decent support, you know, decent step-by-steps or linked to a tutorial or linked to a video kind of thing to help me through a process, I am more than willing to pay 150 bucks. And my real logic is any other software is not beholden to me then. They can do whatever the hell they want. They can quit and I'll move to Jamaica. They can decide tomorrow I'd rather do VR games and not this kind of software. But at least with Simplify 3D, what I'm paying them for to me is future product support and hopefully future product upgrades. Yeah, I'm uh, happy if I email for uh, product support and they email me back in a day. That's pretty awesome. But if it's within a couple hours or less, I mean, that is amazing. Yeah, I emailed them once a long time ago they got back to me right away i don't remember what the heck it was about but it was rapid that they got back to me um and then when you purchase a license you you have two active con- concurrent installs you're able to have it on two machines consecutive at the same time um it does get a little bit um DRM-y if you're off the internet too long um having been off the internet for oh over a week from a tornado, I, I I can contend that it was a pain. What do they do to you that uh, makes it DRM without an internet connection? I just brings up a login page. Says, "Hey, login." So basically, just so wants... it doesn't prevent you from working. No, it does. But after you log in, you can work. Correct. But if you don't have internet to log in. Oh, oh, all right. So when you don't have internet to log in, you it's dead. It's a dead tool. No, there's some set amount of time, two days, a week. I don't, I don't know how long it was. It, I was without internet for a few days before it popped up, and I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll tether my phone real quick. Uh-huh. Yeah, on the bottom of the page, on the footer, it says the very last system requirement, internet connection re um, required with a asterisk. And the asterisk just states a internet connection is re is required for the installation and continued use of the software. Uh, so this almost sounds like what they were planning on doing with the uh, Xbox One, I believe. Uh, but if I get a couple days out of using it, I really would expect I would be able to get some method of connectivity uh, because if I don't have power for a week, I'm pretty sure I have different things to worry about than, you know, going in and slicing up a SDL file. 
Right. I wonder if you could call them up and they give you a temporary token if you have no internet. Yeah, I don't. I, I, don't, I, I don't know how they would get it to you. That old keyboard thingy. Oh, I guarantee you that there's no hard hard coded bypass. Because if they did, it would already be everywhere. Right. right. I'm I'm just saying, yeah, if they gave you a unique key, like, hey, what's your serial number? Okay, and we'll give you this key for a week. Okay, how's that gonna work though, <laughs> if you don't have internet? The, the they have a mouth, you got ears, and there's a phone call. Most people don't have landline in their house. Well you got a cell phone, right? Well, then we said internet down. We didn't say cell communication down, right? And they'll probably say tether your phone. Yeah, I, I would be willing to bet a week's worth of lunches. There is absolutely no hard coded bypass for anything in this because if there is, then there would be uh, a, a reason for someone out there to sit down and figure out the algorithm. Well, there, I mean, there already are pirated versions of this, so perhaps oh. it existed previously and they've taken it out because of that because yeah i mean if it's in there as a bypass one's gonna find it and turn it on and, and release it um so i i it's just something to be aware of that's all you know i mean you, you run out of gas you can't drive it's you, you keep the tank full so you're saying there's a free version out there check <laughs> what i'm saying is that even though i have cura installed both versions and um craftware installed on here I, I fired up and tethered because it was that much less hassle. Oh, that's saying something. Um, did you guys have any other things you wanted to mention about slicers? Any things I need to know, should know, or look out for? Just run through the different pages. If you don't know what something is, ask or hover your mouse. You should get a little pop-up explaining it. Um, and watch out for filament size because... Um, I think Cura defaults to three, being that it's from Ultimaker, and you get all the other settings correct, and you have three millimeter in there, and you're running 1.75, you're gonna have a bad day. Yeah, it does. Uh, I do remember that as well, Liam. It does uh, default to three millimeter, and then they also default to a 0.35 nozzle, as opposed to the rest of the world, which uses a 0.4. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, well, the next thing we have in our notes is a uh, quick guide on settings for the beginner. And at least the four that I see here is nozzle, diameter, multiplier, retraction, and infill. The only one I think, I think, well, there's two that I think I understand. Okay. Infill to me is you can, you, most things you probably can't print completely hollow. You need some kind of internal structure whether it's like honeycomb shaped or something something inside to give it a little bit of internal referential integrity kind of thing. And then nozzle diameter, to me, that is quite literally the exact point on the printer where the liquid filament, when it's turned into liquid, comes out of it and hits either the bed or the rest of the 3D printer to build up. I'm going to guess. Yeah, yeah, the nozzle is the part you're pushing everything through. Infill, I, you know, as long as you got two walls, most things are going to be strong enough to support itself. It's really just to support the internal overhangs, um, notwithstanding actual structural strength that may or may not be needed or weight. Got, so, like when the it, when it curves in onto itself, just like the umbrella example, if you don't have something inside of it to support that curve, there's a chance it's not going to lay right. Damn, Skippy. Yeah, you'll have something sagging or just not at all. 
Well, I know all about Sagan. Well, uh, personally, for uh, I've been experimenting a lot with uh, infill with the little wrench that I've been doing, and you know, I've got it down to I think fifteen percent infill, and it is still strong. But when I do less than ten percent, like you guys said, the uh, the it overhangs and uh, it overhangs and like droops. So that is also because I don't have a uh, fan on it right now. Well, get the cooling fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's that's on the list. I'll print stuff ten percent if I don't care about strength and I don't have any drooping or anything like that, like PLA with the fan on. But uh, the DSLR rig, there were some things that I had to print at 20% because they uh, they were clamping around a half-inch EMT, which is 18 millimeters. And EMT. as you tighten extruded metal tubing, uh, electrical conduit, and if you tightened up on it, it would deform if it was at 10%. So there are a couple of parts... That because of how they uh, were worked, that they would tighten up and deform or possibly break. I printed them at twenty percent, but that's another one. If I wasn't using Cura and using something else, I could have beefed up just that section. Yeah, um, infill is just another tool in your arsenal. Um, I I don't know about Cura nor Slicer, but specifically in Simplify 3D, you can take and when you preview preview a print, see where the infill is and you can actually go and adjust the infill and move it around so you can move your print on the plate or rotate it so that the infill lines up better for support so even though it's 10% if you move it and rotate it a little bit 10% might be plenty now well it also uh, like the infill pattern now I've been using Cura I don't know about moving the infill around but you can select different internal patterns. So I've just been doing basically square blocks. and But you can select a hex like a honeycomb, and uh, I think there's another option. Yeah, you've got zigzag, wiggle, um, concentric. You have the uh, cubic bisection. You have triangular and then triangular prism, I believe. So um, what I'm going to guess is when doing printing, actual printing time also is directly affected by infill. The percentage of infill can, could, maybe, dramatically affect the print time. Correct. Absolutely. For me, for me, it's been uh, infill and uh, layer height has always been, from what I know, the main reason why you would you would go with a 0.3 rather than a 0.1 would be time. Gotcha, gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah, it's like um, yeah, sometimes you purposely want to print something light. You don't need it to be crazy sturdy because it's not going to be taking a load. Um, and that didn't sound right. Um, but like, yeah, if you're going to make, design, print, build something that's going to be used for work, like the wrench kind of device, my logic is, man, um, to only require 15%, to me, doesn't sound much. 15% infill and get it strong and sturdy enough to be used as a tool, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I uh, I mean, I went all the way up to 75% when I first started, and, you know, it was it was strong, but, I mean, down to 20, 15% is, I can take a hammer to it, I, can, I can't crush it at all, you know, I mean, at least not with my hands, I can take a 
pair of uh, channel locks and crush it, but it takes takes quite a bit to beat it up. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, we had the other um, things to talk about: multiplier and retraction. I I, I I I don't know what the hell they are. Liam, you want to jump on that? Aaron's being awful quiet. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, well, let's see here. Uh, retraction. Let's go with that one. Retraction is so if you make um if you do a test, let's say you're doing a test print, and it prints out everything looks good for the most part, except you have strings all over the place, meaning that it looks like um you know a giant spider went all over the entire print so you've got points of where the nozzle lifted lifted or moved from one point to another point and then you know started flowing again well instead of the nozzle just stopping it's it grabs whatever uh, the the um film it is and just brings it brings it across so what retraction does is you add some retraction into that so when it it stops printing at one point and then goes to move to another point it will literally go backwards so when you see your gear turning as it's pushing that filament out it will bring it it will go in reverse a certain amount and bring it back up into the nozzle, kind of like suck it back in, and then move it over to its next location, and then start printing again. Um, and the cool thing is that you can just, you know, you can you can do a test print, see if that fixes it, doesn't fix it enough, um, and then just add a little more if uh, you need to. Um, if you're getting really really light stringing, like you know, just like um, like hair or what they call like angel hair type of uh, of retraction lines. You know, most people are fine with that, or you can you know bump it up a little more. But that's kind of hopefully that explains uh, or gives you something in your head that you understand on what retraction does or doesn't do. So yeah. Now my logic is when you're saying this, it's almost I picture it like grabbing a piece of pizza and then when you if you just move it a little bit you could still have a lot of the string the cheese stringing back to the pizza so what you want to do is you want to pull the pizza away further to cause separation to hopefully cause that cheese strand stringiness to break yeah exact exact same thing that's a great analogy for it um it's just like that cheese so you'll you'll see that kind of stringiness along the print after you're done or in the middle if you're watching the print like most of us do half the time and then you'll know okay well i have you know let's say a, a point for uh retraction setting well maybe i need to bump that up to you know 0.43 or you know 0.5 you know you just have to play with it until you find the uh, happy setting that works for you yeah, and, and that's my logic. There is no one setting. This is, I think, a consistent thing we're going to bring up on the show. 
There is no one setting. It depends on your printer. It depends on your nozzle. It depends on your hot end. It depends on your fan. It depends on the temperature of the room. It depends on the humidity. It depends on the filament quality. I mean, I'm pretty sure every time I change a roll or change a brand or whatever, I might have this type of issue pop up again and again and again, again and again and again. Yeah, especially when you are switching brands. Usually when you stick with the same brand, most of the time it's okay. Um, but even when you have the exact same printers, exact same brand of filaments, and you know, even slicers same. I think Liam, I don't know, Liam, do you know off the top of your head what your slicer retraction setting is right now? 2.2 millimeters. Your retraction's 2.2? Yeah, see, so like my retraction right now is, what was it, 1.2 or point, I don't have it in front of me. I want to say it was 0.8 maybe, but it's definitely not 2.2. Okay, Um. so now infill filling, nozzle diameter, nozzle diameter, uh, I'm going to... Yeah, I mean, I I think it's pretty obvious nozzle diameter will change stuff, but um, well, I, I'm going to guess it's going to uh, affect maybe print speed or maybe print uh, granularity, like how fine of a point can you print maybe? Yeah, I mean, it's it's using a crayon versus using a pencil. You're, you're going to get different line widths. You're going to be able to fill up the page faster or slower at a different resolution. Um, there are printers on the market that use the crayon and the pencil in conjunction with one another. So you, you fill the inside with the crayon and then you do the outside with the pencil. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, it's one of those things, right tool for the right job. So there literally might be jobs where the crayon is perfectly accessible, um, acceptable. Yeah, I like the idea of uh, doing the crayon on the infill and the pencil on the outside that that would be a nice nice printer to have that would probably be uh dual extruders though yeah um ultimaker is one that does that as well as the sigma bnc 3d i think is one of the others that i'm familiar of course you can roll your own as well all it takes is two extruders right well really quick question then multiplier i don't know i'm trying to think of what it could be and all i keep thinking of is multipass Low rate. Jonas! I didn't see you come in. How's everything going, man? Terribly busy. Dude, how long have you you've been here a while? I've completely missed you. How's everything going, man? Oh, pretty good. Just finally finishing a long, long day and week. Uh, well, the big question is, did you get any shipments, or are you still en route? I didn't get any printer shipments, but I did get some new filament. Awesome, awesome. Uh, so, with a really quick question. Any anything this week did you build, did you break, or did you learn? Um, honestly, I can't really think right now, so I'm just kind of listening, and uh, I'll pipe in when I can. Sorry, sorry. Okay, Um. so um, you shocked me so much. So what the hell is multiplier again? How much comes out of the filament, or how much filament comes out of the head? So typically you're running 100%, but you might find... As time goes on, you might get some crud in the nozzle, and it might not be extruding well, and you might want to pump it up to 110%, and you'll get you know the same amount pumped through. Uh, that's kind of a break fix, but there are different reasons. 
uh, different filaments, different temperatures that you may want to run uh, at a higher rate than you had initially planned. And for me, at least, that's kind of like a on the printer. I'm looking at the print coming out, and I bump it up on the printer if if it didn't come out as planned from the slicer. Gotcha, gotcha. So it's like flow rate. It's how Correct. how far do you turn the sink on, kind of thing. Right, right. And basically, it's how quick does the gear turn on the extruder. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so I think I got those four things: nozzle diameter, physical m- measurement, multiplier speed rate of flow of actual filament, retraction, pizza, cheese, how far do you want to pull back to break that strand of cheese because you don't want pieces hanging all over the place. Then infill is just what I always called, um, I don't want to say filling because that's too lame of a word, but the actual structural integrity inside of the device. And I love the idea that you can do different shapes because depending on the exterior shape, uh, certain interior shapes might be more beneficial. Yep, yep, that's that pretty much sums it up. Um, the 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 multiplier is often called flow. Like if you look at the um, your control panels on on the machines themselves, flow rate. Um, the the big reason I'm changing the multiplier has 100% to do with the the filament. So maybe this batch of filament is larger. It's not 1.75. It measures at 1.9. So you need to turn the the, the flow down. Um, maybe I'm printing with a soft material. And so it, it digs deeper into the teeth on the extruder gear, which effectively gives you a smaller radius on the drive gear, which means you need to up the multiplier. Or maybe it's a harder filament, so it's sitting higher on the extruder gear, giving you a larger radius on the wheel that's driving it, meaning you need to turn it down. Um, for me, it's 100% filament issue. Um, if I were to run into a problem where I need to turn it up because of a clog, then I'm, I, I just need to do some maintenance on the thing or uh, swap the nozzle. Your nozzles will run out, and so you can combat the, the fact that your nozzle diameter is a 0.44 now with the multiplier on the fly versus going back and re-slicing it and upping the diameter on your nozzle. Gotcha, gotcha. Something you'll something you'll hear on some of these videos when people are talking about trying to solve problems with their 3D print will have to do with over-extrusion or under-extrusion, and sometimes adjusting the flow rate can help with those problems. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and I, I keep thinking almost like uh, a uh, guy in a batter's box hitting a pitch with the baseball bat. He could turn his hips a little bit more. He could swing a little bit earlier. He could dip his back knee. All three could essentially return the same result in execution, even though it's three different things. So you might, I don't want to say it does, it it definitely matters what you tweak, but you could have got the same results by tweaking something else. And then it could be one of those little beneficial things. Well, maybe if you change the multiplier, not only will you fix the issue, but you also might be able to actually print quicker. Maybe. Maybe not. Depending on the filament. That's probably not the way to do that. Gotcha. gotcha. I, I, I had to take a shot once in a while. Um, okay, those are all the quick guide on settings for the beginner. And then the very last thing we have here in the notes is how to change an STL to a G-code for printing. Now, the real reason why I believe this is in here now, here's where I need another correct me if I'm wrong kind of thing. Everybody. Every time, period, they're going to print something 
the one thing they're going to have to do is always use a slicer, no matter what. Even if you just download whatever from whatever website, you're always going to need a slicer to do that final preparation step. And I'm going to guess changing the STL to G-code is the slicer itself. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the uh, the process for sure. The taking the solid and making it multiple layers to lay out. That's that's um, G code's not the only thing. There's other ones. I don't I don't remember their extensions, but there's several others that are supported. Um, but G code is the the majority shareholder in this company. Yeah, well, G code is actually the machine instructions on where it moves and what it does. I think we mentioned that earlier. And the STL is really a 3D model of the object. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Um, honestly, since this, this this is a shorter episode than we've done in the past, but I can I got to tell you guys, I think we actually got more information in this episode. Um, so yeah, uh, slicer is that final preparation. Like if I had a job at Subway, this would be the oven. This would be the last thing I'd put that really crappy sandwich in before I hand it to people. <laughs> yeah, kinda. <laughs> the slicer is the guy at the end of the sandwich line that finishes making the sandwich and puts it on the paper before he puts it in the bag. So you've got a 3D model that you want to do something with. The slicer takes the 3D model and makes it into something that your printer can understand and print with. Gotcha, gotcha. Very cool stuff. And and, and I'm going to tell you, more than likely, I'm not going to start with uh, Simplify 3D, literally, literally, just because it's 150 bucks. Uh, I, I, I want to play with the other ones. I want to try the other ones. Uh, it looks like if I read it right also, the Prusa edition of a slicer looks like it's command line only. Now, I'm a Linux weenie. I'm perfectly fine with the command line. It's visual. Okay, cool. When I looked at their GitHub page, it looked like it was and said command line. You can do both with, I think, any version of slicer, but um, it's definitely a visual add my file to this 3D plane and you can see what it looks like. You can scroll up and down to see the levels of the slices it makes. It's really nice because you can see your model, set all of your settings, and you'll notice that whenever you change a setting, it recalculates the slicing, it re-slices it, unless you tell it not to. And when you go look at the model where you go up and down to view the layers, you can see, for instance, how your support material will come out. So when you change your support material settings, you'll see a little scroll bar at the bottom saying slicing. And then when you go back and look at it again, it'll have changed and you can see what either the infill is going to look like or the support material setup, how far away it is from the model, all those kind of things. So it's it's a really nice visual tool. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, okay, I see what I read and how I read it wrong. It says, what are Slicer's main features? Key features are, and the second one down is, complete command line interface to use it with no GUI. So it's one of those things, if you already know the STL, if you already know all this stuff, and so if you just need to just quickly pass it through the Slicer, you can use it with a command line. Um, Because, yeah, because when I'm looking at these pictures, uh, screenshots of these Slicers, I'm thinking to myself, I mean, you got to be ultra, like, like elite nerd if you're using a slicer with a command line only or, or you're blind. Yeah, I would imagine that's for batch processing or pushing a profile to a 
like an Octoprint server that you you know what you your preferred settings are um, and you just run them through that profile. Um, I want to go back to the the settings for a second though. Um, I, I think a lot of people they get a crappy print or a print that doesn't com- live up to their expectations and they just start changing stuff willy nilly. I think the most important thing is to understand what's gonna what what the changes you're making are gonna affect and why. Um, back to the the swing and the the bat. The, the object's to hit the ball, hopefully over the fence, you know, into somebody's car. That's a d bag because that'd be great. Um, Ultimately, we're trying to hit the ball better, and uh, there's multiple different ways of doing that. Just understand why you're doing it the way you're doing it. Yeah, and and I personally believe what I'm going to end up doing because don't get me wrong, I'm going to lean on you guys, and I'm going to lean on you guys a lot. But there's going to at least be a couple occasions where I'm going to have something bad happening, and I'm going to say to myself, self. And here's one of the I say advantages I think I have because of my past work experience. The worst possible thing to do is to go change more than one setting and try to print. Because then if it does work, you don't know which setting fixed it or was it in fact a combination of the two. So when I have something wrong, I'm going to once in a while at least try to change it myself, try to reprint, see if I get the same error or a different error or it's fixed. And then try to, because that's what I really do think. I really do think it takes that unbelievably high number of repetitive fails in order to to know ahead of time, oh, it, well, in my past experience, if I change the um, this to that and I tweaked it by 0.2 more, well, then this is going to happen. So then I'm more confident. My logic is more confident with each successive print. Yeah, absolutely. And you're dead on. You know, only change one setting at a time. Then you absolutely know which direction you're going whether it's worse or better, but you know that, oh, hey, I changed that setting. That's what that did. That's not what I'm trying to fix, but that changed that setting, you know? Well, and I hate saying it. I, I went to Reddit. I believe it was reddit.com slash r slash um, um, 3D printing or 3D printers. And literally 99% of the postings I saw was somebody with a picture of a failed print saying, how do I fix this? 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 Which is not intended to scare people away from 3D printing, but it to me, it's like when you work at a help desk, you will not believe some of the repetitive types of calls you will get and that some of the questions people will ask. With 3D printers, this is the real kind of thing, sure, you can ask other people. And yes, yeah, sometimes you probably should ask other people. People, I think, sometimes need to be willing to just sit down and, dare I say, bang it out. Like, beat up the computer. Beat up that software. Tweak, try, fail. Tweak, try, fail. Tweak, you know, And just keep going until you get at least closer. So at least when you ask a question to the community, you can say, it was doing this. I did that. Now it's doing this. It looks better. Do you have any advice to get me to that last solution? Instead of just what is like most commonly the most rude thing you can do in IRC chat, which is just log into the chat room. And the first thing you type is, can anybody help me? Yeah. R F R F T F M R T F M. Yeah. Read the fine manual. Read the fabulous manual. I always like, uh, use the search button. Oh, well, if I can't control F inside of a thing to look, I'm not reading it. 
Okay. Um, man. Okay. This slicer stuff is a lot more, I don't want to say complex because it's not. There's a lot more to it than I honestly ever imagined kind of thing. And it's like, I really don't envy you guys out there and you guys here on the show who got your 3D printer and you literally had to do everything trial and error or and watch hours and hours of YouTube to just start to understand anything. Because I don't want to say nothing about this is easy, but so many circumstances are different. Everybody's setup is a little bit different. Everybody's, you know, nozzle a little bit different. Everybody's settings a little bit different. And then what Liam said pretty affirmatively on the last show, the biggest thing to cause an issue is more than likely going to be the filament. So like, dare I say, once you decide what kind of filament you like, you might want to buy a lot of it. Yeah. I've, uh, I've tried with different filament. I tried one from, uh, Monoprice that it's not very good. But it was okay. It was okay enough to use. But once I got the Zealtech, I I don't even know where that monoprice stuff is anymore. Oh, uh, you mean that Zealtech stuff? That stuff's terrible. I wouldn't buy that. Don't touch <laughs> it. Whatever. That's uh, Aaron's way to try to ensure the next time he wants to buy some that it's, it is available to be purchased. Yeah, we all know that won't happen, but <laughs> uh, I think it's already out on uh, Facebook that uh, it's the way to go because everybody and their dog is trying to order it. Well, see, there's a simple solution, Aaron. All you got to do is give me your credit card number, your security code, your billing address, and I'll put it on the notes. And then anytime somebody sees Zealtech for sale, they can buy you some. Oh, sure, 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 sure. Here, I'll uh, send that right over. You heard her here first, Real tech, it's people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, does anyone have any uh, vitally important last words to end off with? Actually, I kind of want to toot my own horn on something, and I'm very excited about it. This is a family-friendly show. Uh, well, yeah, Podnuts, right. So, I... I got the ANET in ANET AA I3, whatever it is, the Prusa clone. And, and I think every one of us, may, maybe only Dor and one other person, doesn't have an ANET. So the control board doesn't come with a filament sensor. So when you run out of filament, it's out. You don't know. Now, as a, a noob starting to print, you got a whole spool of filament, and that's end days worth of printing. That's probably, you know, a week's worth of continuous printing. So you're not thinking about running out. Well, the cool thing is, while there is no filament runout sensor on the ANET, if you're using the Octoprint, you can build your own filament sensor housing and wire it into Octoprint and put a plug-in into Octoprint. And after I put the plug-in, I saw there was a push bullet notification because... Yeah, great. Your filament ran out, but you didn't know about it. So if it can notify you on your phone and your browser that it ran out, that's even cooler yet. Well, so, wait, wait. how can you? Yeah, this is how me stupid, Rich. Me stupid. I get in my head filament sensor, okay? Which and you're gonna hook it to your Octoprint. Well, a, I think you're gonna have to have a wire of some kind to connect. But how on earth can you print? something and where does it connect to on your printer how how can you print a sensor to met to 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 actually know 
that you're out of filament. This literally boggles my mind. And I saw you put a picture of it in from Tinkercad, and I'm looking at it. I'm like, how the hell is that a filament printer? I, I don't get it. Crickets, crickets. Basically, you're printing a housing to hold the switch. And when the switch kicks off, it sends you know an on or off code to the Raspberry Pi and says, hey, it's on or it's off. And the Raspberry Pi then looks at it through Octoprint and says, what do I do with this information? And then the Octoprint, I guess, um, module or plugin or whatever it is, can send you a message however you want to do that. So I'm not sure how Rich has got his set up, but so there's, that's pretty interesting. Sorry, I, I was on the wrong uh, screen. Uh, so yeah, there's two ways of doing it. One is with a micro switch. The other is with like an infrared sensor. And I had a bunch of micro switches kicking around. The housing I printed was kind of huge because it also enabled you to throw like a sponge in there to clean the filament. I've since printed out a super small housing. It's maybe twice the size of the actual micro switch. Uh, so what it does, you have a pull up and a pull down resistor. It closes it and brings it to ground where it was normally 3.3 volts. Now it's zero volts. The uh, plug-in detects the voltage change and then pauses the print. And you can do a filament change or whatever it may be. And then press resume on Octoprint after doing the filament change and it starts up. And I've uh, tested it out. It works. And I also posted a YouTube video to my channel. And you can see uh, this is the shameless plug. Uh, all of my social media stuff at flyingrich.com. So the uh, the video will be up there. And I've also posted last week a video to the uh, the Makers channel. Okay, so I'll, just, I'll, I'll tell you. So you didn't print a filament sensor. You printed housing. the housing and how to connect it to. Now, where on your printer do you actually physically connect it? Is it really close to the filament wheel or is it closer to the, the, the uh, print head? So actually, I'm kind of like hanging it on a clothesline uh, between just under the filament wheel because I didn't have a place where I could solid mount it or that I thought would be effectively uh, solid mounted. So I'm like kind of alpha testing it right now. It does work, and I'm just trying to figure it out, and I may switch out the housing. So yeah, there's uh, the actual micro switch in the housing that's up by the filament wheel. And then uh, two wires going down to the Raspberry Pi. And then it's actually three wires and two resistors on the Raspberry Pi. So there's a pull-up resistor, a pull-down resistor, and then the sensor pin that detects the voltage. So, so all in all, if you had to put a number on how much this stuff guess, uh, costs, I'm going to guess it didn't cost much. Uh, I had everything in my, my grab bag of electrical stuff. Well, but if I had to go buy it, I mean, how much? Uh, a micro switch, you probably buy a two-pack for under two bucks. Um, and wires and resistors. What are, Radio Shack used to sell you like the five-pack resistors, so you'd need two five-packs. I don't know if they're 99 cents or a buck 99 for the five-pack. That ain't bad at all. And yeah, so I, I love the idea of this. So hypothetically, your uh, thing says you might need 10 yards, and you look at it, and you might not have that. But you still want to print it, so and you have the same color and the same material, so you know you print it and you just wait for it to purposely fail, and then when it purposely fails, you just come in, switch the filament wheel, put the new filament in, and go. And, and it, I think we talked about this last time, but is this time sensitive? 
Well, the, we we did mention that last time. I, I mean, the the print head could cool down, the bed could cool down. Depending, like, let's just say you don't care about bed temperature anymore because your layer height is so high, and the bed temperature isn't going to make a difference. Uh, but if the print head cools down, you would have to warm up the print head, do the filament change, uh, and then uh, just press resume. Gotcha, gotcha. Very cool. Um, anyone else have any? Uh... Things you want to throw in there? Okay. Uh, we will have links to all the things we talked about in the notes, uh, links to everyone's personal stuff that they want to have uh, right in the notes. Uh, please do not forget, you can check us out on uh, Instagram at Instagram.com slash TheMakersPodNuts at uh, Thingiverse at Thingiverse.com slash groups slash TheMakers slash topics slash popular. You can go there, check up on that. Uh, we had more than a couple pictures posted on Instagram, and I was as gitty as a little girl when Martin Rambo Obando from Geeksters liked some of our images that we posted. That just made me giddy. Um, you can also send us a voicemail at 7076-POD-NUT. Uh, go ahead and call us up. Leave us a voice message. I don't care how long it is. I like voice messages. Um you can also uh, send us an email at themakers.podnuts and send us an email directly, just like Captain Zero did. Uh, I will make sure to also have uh, the direct link to those two videos that Rich was talking about in the notes. Uh, and with that, we will talk to everyone next week.